Shalom and welcome to Torah to the People, a podcast from Temple Israel in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm Rabbi Micah Greenstein. We hope you enjoy this selection of our sermons, classes, and conversations with inspiring people from across the Bluff City and around the world. Friends, as we move through the five books of Moses, um, this week's Torah portion is incredible. In the book of Numbers, it tells of a man named Korach the Levite and of two leaders from the tribe of Reuben, Datan and Aviram, in their unsuccessful mutiny against the leadership of Moses. And throughout the centuries, this portion that only comes in the summer has given commentators cause for reflection on the nature of leadership. What makes good leaders? What makes bad leaders? The portion is sketchy with the details. We are not even certain of the rebels' motivations. Was it merely a grab for power? Or were there also legitimate complaints against Moses and his brother Aaron. And the commentator Rashi's interpretive insights note that Moses offered conciliatory actions three times with Korach, the chief rebel, before their ultimate demise. And if you've ever seen Jurassic Park, this is kind of what happens. According to the Torah, the ground opens up and all of the rebels, 250 plus, Korach, they're swallowed up. Now they describe Moses, these rebels, in rather harsh and heavy language. Moses is not the paragon of patience or gentle compassion. He appears to be rigid and cold-hearted at times. In their commentary to the text, however, the sages of Judaism suggest that while Ju Moses was far from perfect, he was not uncompromising at all. The rabbis note this text in our Torah portion. I'll read in English. And Moses got up and went to the rebels, Datan and Aviram, and the elders of Israel followed him. According to the rabbis, when Moses invited the elders to accompany him to meet the rebels, the elders were shocked that Moses was willing to go to them. The elders said, hey Moses, these are bad guys. They've been spiteful rebels. They're only egging on the conflict between you and their charismatic leader, Korach. Why should you go to them? Let them come to you, or at least send someone else in your place. It's beneath your dignity, Moses, as the leader of our people, to approach these rebels yourself. But, the commentators continue, it was in the spirit of shalom, Marissa just sang, that Moses went to Datan and Aviram himself. He placed 
humility over hubris. And he never allowed any wrongdoing to prevent a reconciliation. He would not permit pride to interfere with peace. Now, not peace at any price, but the peace of mutual respect for conflicting points of view. The rabbis of the Talmud say that this argument between Moses and Korach was not for the good of the people. Rather, it was about Korach's ego. Korach was jealous of Moses. And he only wanted power. And who in this chapel doesn't know or hasn't observed someone hungry for power? Whether in school, in business, in public life. And the people, our people, they were stuck in the desert. Most of them weren't getting out. So this populist leader, Korach, stirred them up with something to offer. Now, the modern Orthodox sage, Rabbi Soloveitchik, says that Korach's mistake might have been that he aspired to be the king, whereas Moses merely wanted to be the conduit, the teacher. Did you know that's why we call Moses Moshe Rabbeinu? Moses, our teacher. Moses, our rabbi. We don't call Moses Moshe Malkenu. Moses, our king. The distinction is important. It's subtle. Kings often base their leadership on what makes the king happy and building up rapport with followers. But Moses based his leadership on the hope that he could elevate the entire company of people, not just himself, by enlarging shalom. Tomorrow marks one year, I believe, since the overturning of Roe v. Wade when five judges, four of whom are men like me, overturned every woman's right in America to control her body, removing secular legal protections for women to terminate life-threatening pregnancies, fetuses, millions of women must now have to either have the money or have the right address in the right state to receive the care they need with the overturning of Roe v. Wade. By the way, it's perfectly fine to disagree religiously on the topic of abortion. In Judaism, as I've preached five times, a fetus's existence is not equivalent to the life of the mother in Jewish law. 
based on the book of Exodus itself, in Jewish law, Orthodox, conservative, reform, the life of the mother always takes precedence over the life of the fetus. Always. Now, for some evangelical Christians or Catholics who believe a fetus or a zygote and a human being are equal, that's one's religious right. But how does rolling back the reproductive rights of women in secular society by mostly male judges enlarge the shalom that Moses was after? The opening words of this portion are befuddling. Vayikach Korach and Korach took is a phrase the rabbis have had great difficulty understanding because the Hebrew merely says, now Korach took, dot, dot, dot. What did he take? The Torah doesn't say. One commentator, the 12th century Spanish Jew Ibn Ezra, adds the word men, as in he took more rebels. Another translator interprets it, Korach took other people away, the masses away, and he separated himself as a leader like the king. In modern English, we sometimes call a person who is selfish, self-centered, or power-hungry a taker. Maybe the lesson the Torah is reminding us all this week is that Korach was a taker because he wanted to be a leader mainly for the purpose of what he could get, what he could take, instead of what he could give. Whereas Moses, Abraham, Deborah, all biblical leaders in the Jewish Bible and Jewish tradition are described as givers, not takers. That was Korach's downfall and why in the end he never succeeded. Using the masses, he was hungry to take power while accusing Moses and Aaron of going too far. He says, Rav Lachem, you've gone too far. You've gone too far. These are the right words for the U.S. Supreme Court in America. You've gone too far putting judges in women's private examination rooms. And ditto for the current far-right Israeli government that's unraveling Israeli society because the current leader can only keep his power by enabling extreme right settlers to run wild in the West Bank, Judea and Samaria. With the appointment of self-announced ideologues, dangerous ideologues, fascists, to key positions of power. Netanyahu has enabled a rise in settler violence against innocent Palestinians. He hasn't been able to, con to curtail Palestinian terrorism against innocent Israelis. In case you didn't know, 
What's happened since we last met for services? What happened since last Shabbat? Four Jewish Israelis were murdered, and it ignited a rampage of settler attacks that included the burning of a school, the cutting off of electricity in the Palestinian city of Urif. The day before yesterday, 200 West Bank Israeli settlers, some of whom were armed, set fire to homes and vehicles in the Palestinian village of Termas Aya in the central West Bank. They torched farmlands on the outskirts of the village. Security sources estimate that 15 homes were destroyed by arson, 30 cars were torched there. And not only did the Israeli army do nothing to stop this because messengers from Netanyahu's right-wing ministers actually encouraged the violence and the rioting. As our Israeli reform movement's Jewish leader said this morning, Rabbi Josh Weinberg, quoting what I just quoted you from this week's Torah portion, you've gone too far, Rav Lachem, because the next level of fighting may well be a conflagration in the West Bank that will claim lives on both sides with Israeli soldiers paying the price for policies set by this irresponsible, extreme, and unhinged government in the face of six months of pro-democracy protests in Israel, by the way, from conservatives and liberals. But you have a power-hungry, extreme right government that has been so obsessed with power that they haven't thought about the ramifications of using their power like a sledgehammer. My Kennedy School professor, before becoming a rabbi, my mentor, my academic advisor, the psychiatrist and author, Ronald Heifetz, taught me that the key to power when you're in a position of authority is not to use it. The key to power is to withhold it. Whether as a CEO or family leader, for the goal should never be power for power's sake. The goal should always be to strive to do what's best for the entire camp, the entire company, the entire country, the entire family, not just your own sector or voter base. And this is why Korach's accusation against Moses is regarded by rabbinic tradition as being disingenuous. It's not for the sake of heaven. If Korach were to have assumed power, it would have been only for his own self-aggrandizement, self-interest, and not in the interests of the vast majority of the people. Moses, on the other hand, was concerned with the compelling needs of the people instead of personal power or glory. He didn't try to divide and conquer. He didn't take Korach's attack personally. Remember what I told you. 
he approached his accuser, and in so doing, he placed his concern for peace in the camp and for the just cause he was leading over any concern for his own prestige or reputation. Unlike Korach and too many leaders in political and religious life today, Moses believed, as I do, that the values and mitzvahs and movements of Judaism are what will stand the test of time. Not a passing charismatic figure. A good leader in any good enterprise serves the mission for the greater good, not his or her own agenda. Even if a leader is as passionate and charismatic and zealous as Korach, a group or a cause must never serve its leader, no matter how great she or he may be. The leader must serve the cause if it's worth fighting for. So Moses' manner in attempting to prevent Korach's ill-fated uprising in closing teaches us something very important about leadership. He demonstrates that personal power and glory are not the characteristics of a good leader. A genuine concern for the cause one leads must take precedence always over oneself. In two sentences, Korach's rebellion was for the moment. Moses' vision was for the future. And the length of one's vision, my friends, is the key to leadership. Amen.